What is science? Is this science? Is that science? How does someone even do science? What makes someone a scientist? And how did they learn to science? In this podcast, we answer these questions and more while talking to great guests from across the sciences and having just a little bit of fun. Welcome to Is This Science? So welcome to episode number five. Episode number five, the first episode of 2021. That's not true. We released an episode on the first day of 2021. <gasps> okay, the first episode we've recorded in 2021. Yeah, this is the first episode we have recorded in 2021. So, yeah, and this is also our first Drunk Science episode of 2021. Oh, it definitely is our first Drunk Science episode of 2021. Yeah, and our second Drunk Science episode overall. Yeah, so I guess I can talk about what we're drinking first. Actually, I have something that I need to do first. Oh, okay, all right. So, we have some news, Uh and in order for the news, I have a video I need Uh to play. Uh Uh-oh. Sorry, I just needed us to take a moment of silence before I announced that Caitlin's lovely Newt, her best friend, Sir Isaac Newton, has passed away. It was the last sad thing to happen in 2021. Yeah, 2020 claimed another one of the greats. I said 2021, but I meant 2020. 2020, 2020, yeah. Uh, He didn't quite make it through the year, which I understand. I would bail, too. Uh, But, yeah, he was a a great little Newt. He's current. He's now in our backyard, so we get to go out Mm. and visit him occasionally. Like on the ground, or did you just like chuck him? No, in the ground. Not a monster. I know, but you just—he was just outside. (laughs) He's just out there. All I'm saying is, Caitlin only just told me this. Yeah. At least no more than twelve days after he passed. I know. I didn't want to. I don't know. It was like you want to bring down the mood and everything that's happening in this nation. More than it's already been brought, but yeah, no, he unfortunately lived a long long life uh, I had him for 10 years um and he he I hadn't actually adopted him or whatever but my uh one of my um friends from like college basically gave him to me uh and turns out newts live a very long time so I had him for about 10 years he was a good newt he survived uh Nemo Blizzard Nemo in Massachusetts the fish didn't survive but he did so he was like a hardy hardy newt my fish survived Nemo Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know. He, he was fine. He was perfectly fine. The fish did not make it. it I was put way too the cup, like, in between my legs and just, like, like oh. I put her back in her, like, beta cup that I would use to travel her, like, to and from my house. And then just, like, crisscross applesauce my legs and put the cup in the middle and just sat there and was like, please do not freeze to death. <laughs> oh, no. That's basically what I did with him. So, driving, when I moved from Massachusetts to Mississippi, I drove with him in, like, this big Tupperware with, like, one of his little plants in it and kept it at my feet because there was so, I mean, not when I was driving. It was like, no, it's at the passenger seat, like at the footrest or whatever of that. So that way uh, we could make sure he was okay because it was actually the opposite problem. It was like a hundred degrees when we were driving down to the South. And so every time we got out of the car, I just had to like, okay, let's make sure he's covered. We put him in a cooler. It was like a whole thing, but yeah. Um, But yeah, so that was unfortunate, but 
but yeah, he was a he was a good he was a good newt, Sir Isaac Newton, the newt. Yeah. He was a good newt. So, anyways, I just wanted to take that moment of silence too. I appreciate that. Mourn Sir Isaac Newton, also a scientist. Also a scientist. I wasn't sure if you were gonna uh, make comments about you recording bagpipes oh I, I did not I that be. was a YouTube video I played yeah I, I do that. play the bagpipes but that was not me playing the bagpipes I was like wow you got a full set not just the practice whistle you got a whole thing no, no. the plus it's not a practice whistle I don't know it's called the chanter <laughs> and it makes the same exact noise the only reason you have the bag is the bag <laughs> just adds more air ah it's like an extra lung You're just like yeah you, you basically you fill the bag with air and then you just use the bag to like at like to put air through the chanter portion to make the sound. Okay, so when you're playing, but when you're playing, it's still in your mouth, though, right? When I'm playing, yes, but usually with a bag, you keep that to like in, keep the bag inflated. Oh, okay. So it's the air coming remember. out. It's the air coming out that makes the noise, then. Yeah. Fascinating. I mean, I guess that's always the Why case. Why would it be the air going <laughs> in? <laughs> I was like, I played clarinet for years. I'm just sitting <laughs> there, like, like I'm just like, no, no, no. You you said it was the air coming out, not the air going into it. Yeah. So if it was <laughs> the air going into air it, making out. the noise, it would just be me holding my bagpipes, just going, That's pretty good. Thank honestly. you. <laughs> That's pretty good. I'm really proud of myself. <laughs> and then I scratch my head and turn my finger blue. <laughs> Yes, Allie dyed her hair uh, blue, and it is rapidly dyeing all of her skin blue. The problem is I, I dyed my scalp. No one tell Dave Mondo. I dyed my scalp, and he's a TikToker. Okay. Um, I dyed my scalp by accident, and every time I scratch my head, it make turns my fingers purple. <laughs> like, it turns my fingers blue, and they're already pink, so it's, like, a little purpley. But yeah. it's not. It's, it's not. <laughs> so it really hurt my neck. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're just, like. Karate it works really well, though. <laughs> Anyways, so, oh, Caitlin, dear. what are you drinking today? Okay, so this week um, we are drinking Upland Beer, which is a, or Upland Brewing. So that's Yee. a brewery in town. So they're located in, in Bloomington, Indiana, but they distribute, like, really everywhere. It's, I think I think it's the only one in town that I've seen, like, in, when I was in Washington, D.C., they had some Upland beers there, which mm -hmm. is crazy. And it's also the beer that they drank um, in Parks and Rec. So if you watch Parks and Rec, it's the same beer that they drank in Parks Rec. Yeah. Um, and today, so I'm, I was drinking a Dragonfly IPA, which is my personal favorite. I'm now drinking a wheat wheat ale. I think it's I think it's I like the Dragonfly. When my dad came to visit, we got a picture of it um, one night when we went to dinner. And he was like, how do I get this in Massachusetts? He was, like, obsessed with the Dragonfly it's IPA. It's really good. Um, and it's one of their, like, basic ones. So I really like it. Yeah, it's good. But anyways... Um, yeah, so you might be able to find it where you are, depending on where that is. At least if you're in Washington, D.C., I've seen it. I've seen a couple of them. Um, but, yeah, so that's what we're drinking today. Yeah. So cheers to that. So we're going to drink now and get ready for the episode where we drunkenly talk about science. Oh, wait, we didn't do our how-to-nots yet. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to go first? Yes. So my how-to-not comes from... Hmm. I'm thinking. So my how-to not comes from when I worked with guppies, and so guppies give birth to live fish, um, and so in order, to, and rather than giving birth to eggs that then develop and hatch into fish, they give birth to live fish, and so and something else that a guppy does is they also eat their offspring as soon as they're born to kind like of get back some of those nutrients. Like a hamster. Yeah, just like a hamster. <laughs> 
and so there's actually a really great like video on YouTube of that shows oh what's I'm her so name? Afraid of what's coming next. Isabella Rosalini? I don't know. Is that her is. name? She's an actress pretending oh. to be a hamster that eats the other hamsters. Oh no. She's a wild time. Oh no. The YouTube channel is called Green Porno. And that's how I got banned from the student activities computer. Because <laughs> you were looking. I was looking up green porno videos to watch for my behavioral uh, ecology class. Uh, this, and is like the time, this is like the time I Googled beaver in high school. Mm, and was so confused. No, no, no. It gets, it gets worse because oh. I looked oh. up green porno videos, Uh-oh. these behavioral ecology videos. Oh, no. And I watched them, and then I didn't realize I was logged into the student activity. I knew I was on the student activities computer because that was my work study. But I didn't realize I was also oh, logged no. into their YouTube. So then when, my per- <gasps> then when my boss went to give a meeting to the board of trustees, he was like, why does it say suggested? Because you've watched green porno, you should watch this. Oh, and he was no. like, Allie. <laughs> and so I got banned. And that was only the second time I got banned for something science related in that office. I wasn't allowed to say the word virgin for uh, two years because well, I said it. Well, I said it enough times when we were virgining flies, and um, I'd go be like, oh, my God, go check on my virgins. I mean, you do still say that all the time. So my sophomore year, I took genetics, and we had genetics lab where we had to get uh, virgin drosophila. Drosophila store sperm, so you need virgin ones in order to um, set up crosses. And so you we'd have to go collect them every 12 hours or whatnot. And I'd have to be like, oh, I gotta go check him, like, right after I'd get out of work study. And my boss, Jim, he is a saint, and I'm still friends with him to this day. Him and Patrick were like, you can't keep saying that word in this office. Like, you just have to stop. Like, this is so weird. Yeah. It's, it's, our, it's our whole thing of, like, when we talk about biology, if you're not a biologist, you must think we're absolutely Oh, nuts. yeah, no. If you ask me what I do all day, I pull heads. I go get virgins. Like- I, I pull heads and I collect virgins. And I'll talk about that more next week. But, yeah. Yeah. But that wasn't even my how-to not. So my how-to not was <laughs> that I set up a tank with pregnant guppies because I wanted mm-hmm. uh, oh, right, the guppies. baby yes. guppies so that I could ch- uh, stay in their lateral line. So their uh, their mechanosensory system that uh, tells um, them where water movements are and whether or not maybe predators or food is nearby. And so I was staining that to see how it developed over the first week of their life um, outside of the mother but I hadn't set up a baby barrier, which is basically like a little mesh between the pregnant guppy and all the rest of the guppies. So the problem was the mother gave birth and then all the other guppies ate all of her babies. And so I had no babies. And every time that you want a guppy to get pregnant, they refuse. It's true. And so I was really sad and it took me a bit, but then I learned to put baby barriers in like right off the bat. Yeah. So yeah, I understand. Biology is a fun time. Yeah. Caitlin, what's your how-to not? My how-to not. Uh, it has nothing to do with lobsters. So uh, this how-to not comes circa like 2010. So <laughs> I was an intern uh, in Woods Hole at the Marine Biological Lab before I got the job there. And we were out sampling quahogs, which if you're from the Northeast, you definitely know about. Um, and if you don't, maybe you've just seen Family Guy. But they're they're like a kind of clam, basically. They're just a big clam that's using clam chowder uh, specifically in Boston. Um and probably elsewhere too, but we have a we had a bunch of beds, uh, basically just like plots where we had planted. I don't know, planted's probably not the right word. That we'd like seeded. We'd seeded with all these different uh, shellfish, and then we would go and check on them, see how much they'd grown, see if they had any weird diseases or anything like that. We basically just see how healthy they were, and then leave, and then come back the next year and do that. So we, there was one day that we were out sampling. We were not with any local fishermen or anything. It was just like the four scientists. <laughs> so me. 
uh, me, another intern, and then two other of our basically like advisors that were helping us as we were interning. And we were out sampling. It was like a long day. So we're out there in the mud, like literally trying to dig in the mud to catch. To get catch. We were digging up clams. And it takes a long time. You have to do this series of like, you can't just go in and dig in the plot. You have to pick like specific locations in the plot randomly to then go and dig like a two foot hole or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so it took us a long time. It was a long day. It was good. We we're on the water. It was nice. But then we're getting back and we're all tired. Like, okay, it's time to go back. We're going to eat lunch. This is going to be great. And we get in the boat and the engine doesn't turn on. And so then <laughs> we have to drag, pull the boat like through. Luckily, it was low tide. Um, so we had to pull the boat through about, a, I'm going to say a mile, and I'm sure if anyone that was there was listen, is listening to this, they're going to say it wasn't that far. It felt very far at the time. I think it took us about an hour to pull it through the muck and the mud, and you're stepping in, it's, I mean, it's like a tidal plain, so you're stepping in this, like, murky water where there's a lot of crabs and other, like, you know, not, like, dangerous things, but just, like, sharp things. There's lots of sharp things. There's lots of mussels. There's lots of clams. There's lots of crabs and horseshoe crab and stuff. And so we're, like, kind of casually walking through that because we hadn't brought, like, shoes because we weren't planning on dragging a boat. But anyway, so we had to drag a boat through the whole marsh. We made it back home. Everything was fine. But afterwards, uh, my friend was really mad. He, he was one of the advisors. Um, he was really mad because he had done most of the pulling of the boat. But the only pictures that <laughs> we took were of the three of us pulling the boat. And so it made it look like we had towed the whole boat and he'd done nothing, even though he did most of the work. Oh, so no. I'm so sorry, Dan. Not that you'll ever listen to this, but you did do most of the boat pulling work. And we took the pictures and all the glory. So sorry about that. But... Yeah. yeah, things go wrong, and I've heard that happening to so many people that do field work on boats. Yeah. Things things are just going to go wrong. I had that happen, like, the opposite before. Like, I was Dan in that situation where I... Oh, no. You know how, like, you could do, like, the cleanups, like, the town-wide cleanups where you would go out and, like, t take a trash, trash bag yeah, yeah. and you just clean up? So we would do that with Girl Scouts, and so I was a Girl Scout for mm -hmm. much longer than I ever should have been. Hey, I wanted I was to a Girl be a Scout till uh, my junior year of high school. Same. And yeah. I wanted to be a Boy Scout, but they wouldn't let me. They did, I did. Uh, I was really mad. Boy Scouts got to learn fun things. Exactly. And so anyways, we were having a town-wide cleanup, and I was, like, super excited. We went out in these really oversized t-shirts, like, they, like, they're, like, bright orange, so, like, the kids don't get hit by cars. And oh, we were just picking up trash and whatever, and I saw a tire, like, down in a ravine, and I was like, I'm gonna get that tire and roll it up the hill <laughs> so that they throw it away. And I went down and I rolled this, like, large truck tire all the way up the hill. Oh, truck tire. Yeah, and I was little. Like, I was... So you could you could have fit in the truck tire. And just oh, yeah. I was maybe hill. eight or nine years old. Like, I was in, like, third grade, maybe fourth grade. And so I went Dang. all the way down, got okay. it, rolled it up all the way up the hill. And then the two other girls I was with, like, took a picture with me in the tire. And that was the front page of the newspaper on Monday morning. And I was like, I rolled that tire up oh, the hill. Okay. And the caption was like, local Girl Scouts roll tire uphill. And I was like, local Girl Scout rolled tire uphill. Everyone two else did not help. Two credit for my stuff. <laughs> no one so, else helped me. Okay, so yeah, I'll apologize to you then. So apologies, yeah, Dan it's slash okay. Allie. For it's all right. taking credit for things that were not our things to take credit for. Of course. It's kind of like authorship. Yeah. People just take credit that they don't deserve. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole other conversation but oh, it's, a, it's another day um yes but yeah. now that we did our how-to knots we're gonna go drink and get ready for the drunk science portion of this episode yeah let's crack into it as some would say all right caitlin so what is your theme this week 
Okay, so my drunk science topic for this week uh, that Allie gave me is the ancient voice, um, which I did not know what it was initially. So um, it's a recreation of the voice of a specific mummy. Um, and I'll tell you more about the history of this mummy in a minute. But I wanted to read one quote by the researchers because I think it explains a little more. So if, you, if you've heard if you've heard this sound before, if you've heard the ancient voice before, it's I realize I'm doing air quotes and no one can see that. Uh, but if you've if you've heard of this or if you've seen if you've seen if you've heard the actual recording of it before, um, you'll know that it's, it it kind of sounds a little underwhelming. But I'll just explain what they were what they were trying to recreate 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 recreate. I can play the sound at any point. So. Oh, okay, cool. Okay, so let's let's play it at, like, would, you, would you mind playing it as, like right after I read this quote? Because I feel like that oh. would be... Okay, so the quote from one of the researchers uh, was that they wanted to create a, a sound as if it would come out of his vocal tract if he was in the coffin and his larynx came to life again. All right. All right. Oh mm. Yep, that's it. That's, that's it. it. It's all so, yeah. It literally, I still think it sounds like a goat. Meh. Yeah. So people describe it as like a meh or like a, like an eh. There's a lot of like a phonetically spelled <laughs> ways that people think that it should be pronounced, but it's, it's basically a groan. That's how the researchers explained yeah. it. It's, it's a groan. That's what it sounds like. But the whole point is like, there's no way to recreate his actual voice. And I'll talk about what they did in a minute, but there's no way to create his actual voice because he's a mummy, so uh, they, you know, because of their their method of mummification and how old the body is, um, which this specific mummy is is over three thousand years old. Uh, the soft tissues that make up a lot of like the part of your mouth that speech, like generate or speech is modified from, those are all gone. So like you know, when you're talking, your tongue is doing a lot of things, your throat is doing a lot of things like the shape of your mouth. And uh, so all those, all those sort of soft tissue parts uh, are not, not there anymore. So they're recreating it based on just the structure of the larynx. But how, so they're all gone, even though he's been preserved? Yeah. So the tongue, the tongue is, I guess, based on the way that they mummify the body, I'm not sure if the tongue is one of the, I don't, I don't believe they removed the tongue, but I guess based on decomposition that just happens to be one fleshy bit that doesn't that doesn't stay You're around me is there's no more fleshy bits no more fleshy bits no more fleshy bits uh so there's a little bit of tissue left on mummies obviously if you've seen a mummy you can tell there's still like some tissue ish there but it's not in any form that we could really we could actually like reliably reconstruct what his throat and tongue and mouth would look like okay so this is really like they were not kidding they, they were like this is what it would sound like if this mummy woke up in its in like the museum right now which terrifying yeah so this this also brings up like another thing that i've never talked to you about so um i'm terrified of mummies like irrationally terrified of them no yes i know (laughs) so gosh not only is this whole idea of creating this sound my nightmare hearing it and then having to then visualize that it's coming out of the mummy as it exists right now was probably one of the worst scientific things I've ever researched because I was immediately just like oh my nightmares oh this is gonna be gonna haunt me forever perfect I know exactly what my Halloween costume is for next year (laughs) are you gonna be uh Brandon no Brandon Frazier hmm who's in the mummy movie 
movies. I don't know. Frasier. I'm what? actually going. Well, he wasn't the mummy. He was, he was the mummy, she, like hunter person. The hunter. I am actually going to be. I'm going to be a pregnant mummy, and I'm going to be a mummy mommy. Ah, uh, yes, Tina. Tina Belcher would be very pleased. <laughs> She's a single mommy mummy, just trying to get back out there exactly um okay so this is all part of also this bigger project called the voices of the past project that's trying to preserve uh specific ways of speaking and languages voices that are at at threat of being lost or that they want to recreate i guess is the point of of this whole project so that was part of it so this is just one vocal reconstruction but as of right now it's like the the best example of vocal reconstruction that we could that they can generate. So even though it might sound very underwhelming, there's actually a lot of work that went into this. Um, and so what they did is they actually did a, so they did measurements and CT scans. So like they would do on a living person, they did a CT scan of the mummy and were able to get a 3D reconstruction of what their throat and sort of like all the parts of your throat and mouth that make up your like speech. Um, they reconstructed that artificially and then used that to make the sound. And that's why it sounds really weird because oh. it sounds like they describe it as tinny almost uh yeah. and it's because there's no soft tissue so anything that's going to soften out like your the way that those sounds are coming out of your throat or give any sort of nuance to the sound is gone because that's all done by all the fleshy bits in your throat not so much by the bone structure um and so this is just like again this is a rough reconstruction of what his voice would sound like if the mummy came to life today as it exists right now um, but it's really cool because we might be able to use this. This is sort of like a first step in the right direction to being actually able to recreate what this person specifically sounded like, which is really neat. And I'll tell you exactly why, because I will, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, the mummy themselves. Um, and so I tried really hard to get the pronunciations right because um, in a lot of the beliefs that I read about um, from this time period, speaking their name is very uh, important. And so I wanted to make sure that I, that I tried to pronounce them correctly. So I'm going to do my best. Um, but the mummy's name, it's known as the Leeds mummy for, um, because it's kept at the Leeds Museum in, in England and it's been there for about 200 years. The name of this specific mummy is Nessie Amun. Amun is the, is the god of the sun, uh, among other things in Egyptian. Wait, his name, he's the god of the sun and his name is Amun? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> poor yeah. planning on their part. It's spelled A-M-U-N, but it's the way that I heard it pronounced in, in a couple different documentaries that I watched clips of to try to get the pronunciation right. I feel like so, moon should be the, you should just be the god of the moon. Well, the funny thing is that you have notes, yet again, in a, in a segment where we are not supposed to bring notes. I know, but I just, I get so, I get so, like, I miss, I forget things if I don't have them. In You're time. like, let me read this quote real quick. And I'm like, you wrote down quotes? It's not long. It's only this much. It's not that it's bad. page and a half. It's not that bad. They're small pages. It's okay. I have seven bulleted uh, words. There was just a lot of cool information about it. I wanted to learn all I about know, it. I know. I'm kidding with you. Continue, continue. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so Nessia Moon is how you pronounce it. And yes, Amun is the name of the sun god. It's spelled A-M, I don't know if sun god's the right term, the god of, of the sun and many and other things. Um, but so it's, Amun is the, is the god of the, of the sun and Nessie Amun was a priest um, who was fairly high up in uh, the temple of Amun. So he was actually, they call it purified. He was purified spiritually enough that he could go into the inner sanctum of the temple of Amun, which is like a big deal. So he was a, he was a um, you know, a fairly well-known uh, religious figure. 
and um, he died during the reign of Ramses XI. So this is why I have notes because I like to remember these things and I won't remember them if I don't have notes. Uh, during sure. Ramses XI in uh, 1100 BCE. So that's about 3,100 years ago. Though again, mummies are, are special because they're usually very well, very well preserved for how old they are. So yeah. kudos to ancient Egypt, they figured it out. So they're gonna basically they're gonna help us crack crack the code on how to figure out how to recreate speech. So we could maybe someday we could like legitimately figure out how you know at least people that we could reconstruct their vocal tracts. Yeah. We maybe could hear them talk. That would be pretty cool. Um, like King Tut, he's like fourteen. What does that guy sound like? I think he died when he was fourteen. He died when he was very young. Yeah. That or he became king when he was or pharaoh when he was fourteen. I forget. I took one archaeology class and it is showing. I think he was the youngest king. Maybe he was 14 when he started, or no, maybe he was not. Uh, why am I Why am I continuing to go down this rabbit hole? No, when I don't know if I, like, need to know. No, it's not important for this at all. Nope, no. just me talking. Uh, so yeah, he could go into the inner sanctum, so he was pretty high up. And this means that he was uh, singing songs and speaking a lot. Okay, so very high up in the Temple of Amun. So because of what this, because he's- what? Do you know what the inner sanctum of a temple is? Like- does that mean um, you just go into a special room? Yeah, so it's like it's a part of the temple that only people of a certain uh, level of spiritual purification can reach. Um, mm. And I'm only using those terms because that's what I saw in writings about him from the BBC and the Smithsonian. So, so I, I, lived, but. I lived in the seminary my first year in college, and we found this secret room that was a rose garden that only had one statue, but there was like basically no doors to get into this room. It was like a window. Ooh, okay and so we would either climb onto the roof and then hop into this rose garden because we wanted to be playing it or we'd open the window and squeeze our bodies through do you think that was a sanctum that we broke into you just broke into the inner sanctum. Like off, it was off the side of the like chapel itself i've seen a lot of those um so there's like uh at least because both of us grew up in like catholic house like, i feel like we shouldn't have been in there we also shouldn't have been in catacombs, but that's a whole other story. Usually churches have areas of, like, reflection, I think is what they're, again. There's no door to get into it. I mean, the fact that there's no door makes me very concerned about where, how people were supposed to get in there, but I don't know. I don't think they were, so we were just, like, dropping in. Eh, I mean, we weren't supposed to get into the catacombs either, but we did. Ah, yes. Anyways. <laughs> I was curious. <laughs> that makes sense. So, basically, he was, like, a super purified priest. Yes. So he was high enough up, at least in the Temple of Amun, that he could go into the inner sanctum, which was uh, like, like Ali's Rose Garden <laughs> was uh, like supposed to be only accessed by people of a certain spiritual level. Um, and there, there's a, t- there's a statue of Amun. So basically he was allowed to approach the actual statue of Amun to, uh, in the inner sanctum. So there is, there is, there is a specific statue in there that they, that they can see and communicate like or pray to um in the inner sanctum and so that's that's something that's reserved for people that have gone through that level there was a statue of a moon in the sanctum a-m-u-n yeah yeah but what i'm asking is so nessiel moon the man became so purified that he went into an inner sanctum and saw a statue of himself no so nessiel Nethia Moon actually means the one belonging to the god Amun. Oh, I was like, how is, how did they have time to make a statue of him? <laughs> oh, Amun, the, the, Amun, the god. Amun, Amun is the god, and Nethia Moon means 
one one who belonged to the god Emun, and apparently after so the statue he saw was not a statue of himself but rather the god that he belonged to it's a very different very different much more religiously important understandable got you then going to communicate with the statue of yourself that would be i was like imagine you that you finally become so purified you open the door it's just you i would shit a whole brick and have to leave (laughs) <laughs> this is why you're not allowed in the inner sanctum. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> no. What would fall out? The god Amun, of which Nessie Amun was a follower <laughs> or a priest of that, that yeah. specific temple. Yes. Um, and apparently this name would have been really popular at the time because uh, I guess Amun was a very like as popular god under this this reign anyway i'm not you telling me it's the top baby name of 3000 yeah. 3100 bce what's a popular baby name right now like the oliver of covid of 1100 bce um actually the most uh is noel spelled j k m n o what well <laughs> Wait, it's a name. Like people name their kids. It's spelled J K M N O, and it's pronounced Noel. Oh, I got it. Took me, yeah. but I got, I got there. <laughs> or Quarantina is pretty popular right now. Quarantina. Uh, yeah. COVID. The, the it's instead of the Daenerys of t- two thousand four. Yeah. Purell is pretty common. Oh, Purell. Yeah, Are Charmina. Classic, just generic hand sanitizer this is my child hand Hand sanitizer (laughs) charmina is pretty common charmina okay well it's like that it'd be a very common name at the time when he was born uh and when he lived so uh again he was a scribe and a priest so he was singing and speaking a lot um so there was lots of chanting and lots of preaching and so because of that he would have been talking a lot so uh considering like if you had to pick one mummy that's a pretty good one to pick because that was basically his whole career was speaking so I think it's pretty cool that they decided to recreate his voice. And then I hope they recreate my voice and like Oh gosh, I hope they don't. <laughs> I'm just gonna sit there being I'm just gonna they're gonna like make my larynx and they're gonna be like, what are they gonna do? And then I'm just gonna be like, Yeet. Then you're gonna do the bagpipes thing. Yeet. <laughs> Yeet. That's perfect. What I do. Um, okay, so just to tell you a little more about Nessie Amun, because I fell down a rabbit hole of learning all about this person. Um, because there's only so there's only one paper that's talking about the ancient voice, and this is because they've only this is like a very new thing came out. The paper came out in 2020. Um yeah. it's by uh who's it by? Howard et al. Um it was in Nature Scientific Reports in 2020. So what does at all mean? Oh, at all just means like uh it basically just instead of listing out all the authors if there's too many of them you just say at all and then yeah. it just basically means like etc yeah it's like latin for and and more <laughs> and others yeah it's like i don't know what it actually stands for our boy nessia moon yeah. going around being a being a uh, a preacher for the god amun um during his lifetime and then he died in his in his 50s which for like ancient Egypt, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Lives a pretty good long life. Um, and they found out that he had some chronic ailments. You can tell a lot like from their bodies. Sorry, yeah. what, were you going to say something? Oh, I feel like that's pretty good. But I feel like a lot of people from back then died from like sexually transmitted diseases. And if you're a priest, you're not really doing that. That is a good point. That's or a good like point, alcoholism yeah. and things like that. But if you're a priest, you're not doing those things. Ooh, so that's, this might also be our Catholicism thing. I don't know if they were celibate. I don't know if the... 
Oh, okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. If they both that, that like growing up Catholic bias where we just assume no, no priests can get married. I don't know. I didn't look it up. Egyptologists. Let no, me know. I, I grew up Episcopalian and so they could get married and I forgot. Oh, okay. No, I, I honestly was like, I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. I don't know that he was married. It didn't list anything about him having a wife or children, but I, was just, I just feel like a lot of the things that priests don't indulge in are a lot of things that people were right. probably dying from back then. That is a good point. Yeah. Um, so, so he lived to be about 50 and what they figured out is that he actually died from a severe allergic reaction, which is what I found on, I believe, I believe that one was on the Smithsonian's webpage. Uh, I he, like inflamed. I don't know. I don't know how they figured it out. To like recreate if his, he died from an allergic reaction. I don't know. I don't know how you figure that out. I mean, I probably should have been a forensic biologist, but I'm not. If he had blood left, I don't remember if they bled them before they met. Or maybe they, maybe they like wrote it down. I don't know. I truly don't know. Etched it into a piece of rock and then like threw it in with him. It just here lies Nessie Amun. He died from eating a peanut. <laughs> it's like here lied uh, <laughs> Princess, like whatever, whichever princess from Adventure Time. Oh, Princess. She was, uh, she was so beautiful, but died of baldness. <laughs> it's like Princess Beautiful Hair or something. Yeah. yeah. Died of baldness. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so much like that, except it said allergies to something. Don't know what he was allergic to, but he died from some kind of severe allergic reaction. Based on like what was left of, you know, what was left of, uh, of his mummified body, they actually found out that he had some chronic illnesses like gum disease. Basically, they looked at 3,000 year old fleshy bits and they were like, this is 3,000 year old teeth, which to me is like the worst case scenario. Well, because they looked that he had gum disease and worn down teeth, which is at the time was pretty common. So it's not Something like that's worn down from him grinding them in there. Like, oh, I don't know. He's just been trying me. Yeah. <laughs> He's just doing that for 3,000 years. Um, but this is I personally one of one of my favorite things about him uh is because or the part of my favorite things about why they decided to recreate his voice over any other mummies um mm-hmm. are that he had a specific quote, another reason why I took notes. He had a specific quote that uh about his hope. For the afterlife and so i'm just gonna read that real quick because it's like okay. really important uh and it's really interesting so he hoped that his soul would one day speak to the gods as much as he had in life which i think is really cool and so they decided to recreate his voice so thir- three thousand years later you can hear what his voice almost may sound like sort of that's insane honestly really cool so honestly they picked a great they they had a it was a good it was a good choice he's been in very good shape for a mummy even um because there's, you know, mummies, mummification was pretty, was fairly standardized, yeah. I think. I mean, only richer people could afford to go through the whole process, but I think- Important people. And so since he was in the inner sanctum of yeah. such a prominent God, I'm not surprised that he was mummified. Yeah. So he was mummified and um, his grave was relatively undisturbed. And so that helped a lot. Um, and then also just another really interesting thing. So he, uh, his his mummy um, survived for 3,000 years, but then also, like I mentioned, it was in England for 200 of those years um, at the Leeds Museum. And during World War II, the Leeds Museum was actually bombed um, during an air raid by the Leeds Blitz bombings. Yep, and it it blew it. Uh, the bombs destroyed about half of the museum, and there were a handful of mummies that they had at the time. And Net, uh, Nessie Amun was the only mummy that survived unscathed. what i know right that's the crazy thing is like we don't really talk about like 
what happened to the antiquities during World War II. But like, yeah, I mean, all of England is being bombed. So it makes sense. But I just never what thought. What you're telling me is like, basically the, the museum was half in, in like, d- like disarray. All the mummies are just gone, basically, except for Nessia Moon is like, like I'm one way or another. Yeah. Yeah, he's the only one. Uh, that you know what? Him. He was not. Uh, he was unscathed, so such that his voice could come back in this. Like, exactly. So it may, it's great. 1941. He survived a war that he was, you know, three thousand years late to. <laughs> like, he, a moon, I feel like a moon, the god, just like put up like a bubble around him during the bombing. It was just like I no. Think, yeah, I don't know. I don't know any, about wow. any of the other mummies that the Leeds Museum had at the time, but they maybe weren't as spiritually pure. I don't know. Um. But then just one more thing, because I have to point, I have to do it because I really like this, this other preserved body is that in 2016, there was a paper that actually tried to recreate the voice of Utsi, the Iceman. So if you've never heard of Utsi, the Iceman, um, he was discovered in the Alps in, uh, I believe in the Italian Alps. Um, and he was discovered by some, some just people hiking. They just randomly happened to stumble across his body, um, and realized that he was very, it was not a new body there was not someone that had died recently and so they they actually um sent it to a museum and they were able to figure out that it was about uh, over three thousand years old the body um and so this was someone that had died around the same time as nessia moon uh, a little bit a little bit earlier and they were able to reconstruct his his voice too and i love i love this stuff so like utsi i would love to do a whole episode on utsi because i could just talk about that forensic biology forever um is, re- is really really cool yeah also like the fact that they found the remains and they were like is this a newly dead body i was like no the man looks like he's been glazed yeah, He's but that's the so thing. Bodies, bodies at that high altitude and, and like sun yeah. exposure can things get weird real quick. I mean, you think about how well preserved the bodies on top of Everest are. Yeah. Um, it's not like that surprising to me that they would run across it and like your your immediate reaction is not this is a three thousand year old person. Like, it's, oh god, no! Your first your first reaction is this is a mannequin, and then it's of course, and it's never a mannequin. And then when you find out what it is, <laughs> never a mannequin um so yeah so from your story is thanks priests thanks thanks priests thanks amun for your sunshine and your priests that lasted through three thousand years and world war ii and all that stuff so world war one and oh i know i was like oh yeah i I guess it wasn't a direct attack but yeah world war ii it was definitely i mean it survived brexit it survived a lot (laughs) it survived a lot i know this man's seen it all um, and all he can say about it is just meh. <laughs> so, I mean, it happened in 2020. Like, can they recreate the voice in like 2020, like three, and see if he's like a little more optimistic? He was like, meh. Like, yeah, that's how I felt about 2020 as well. Like, it's okay. We get it, man. We get it. Why? So, that's yeah. a really good story. So 2020 was when this paper came out. So, super recent. Um, and all, all that I can say is that we're, hopefully in like four years when you listen back to when I am the only person yeah. on earth listening to this podcast I I will get to remember am I dead <laughs> I just assume you'd be sick of hearing my voice by then since you do all the editing yeah that's fair <laughs> okay but that's all I got for the ancient voice so yeah if you want to know more um I got I found most of my sources from um the BBC and Smithsonian magazine because uh, they keep records of all of those um, museum curations and things like that. Um, so there's plenty of information out there. And then Howard et al. 2020, The Ancient Voice is the paper. So go find it. Um, really cool. 
see they have a whole they have just like whole pictures of the ct reconstruction of his throat and stuff it's really interesting so really interesting all right so that's it for the ancient voice now we get to go to Allie. what was your topic for this week my topic for this week was the wood wide web which is the mycorrhizal uh network and so basically that's the network of fungi so uh, fungi um, are really rare. They're really hard to find. Allie was never. Um, I've never found one. I've never actually tried as a woman who loves women to find a fun guy, but who knows? Um, fun gals are much more common. Just kidding. But so fungi is just the scientific word for mushroom. Um, and actually a lot of the mushroom species haven't even been identified. So I feel, I think I read a statistic that 90% of fungi species are still unidentified. So it's actually pretty rare to find new species of mushrooms, um, because it doesn't happen as much, but that's because a lot of the ones that haven't been found are in places that haven't really been, um, kind of tromped around. So a lot of the forests, the tundra, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, I love mushrooms though. So much like Caitlin, who this is something we've also never talked about. So I didn't know Caitlin was terrified of mummies. Um, <laughs> Caitlin didn't know that I am obsessed with mushrooms. Yeah, and so I love really cool mushrooms. Like I will sit in bed at night and just watch slow mo videos of mushrooms oh. just like blooming. Like the especially the ones that are like oh. they kind of look like netting as they like and they like oh I I just like I can't like it's just gorgeous. It like. Oh, it's amazing. And I just like, I can't. I love them they're so, so much. Creepy. They just kind of like come out of the dirt like little zombies. Yes. <laughs> they like, they're, their caps like pop oh up. Oh my God. There's a whole thing. Cordyceps fungus is my favorite fungus because it infects um, insects. And also, then if cordyceps sounds familiar, that's because that's the fungus that destroys humanity in the Last of Us series. <laughs> sure. So <laughs> the cordyceps fungus is really wild. And I could talk about it a whole time, like another day, but I just love watching the fungus just like come out of the like animal corpses. It's just wild. So cool. I could say wild a few more times, but anyways, so actually my sophomore year of college when I was working in the lab for the summer was the first time I really found my true love for weird mushrooms. So my friends were working in a- Weird mushrooms. Yes, my friends were working in a lab that studied bacteria, fungi interactions and how they um, help one another. And so we had to go on a mushroom hunt to like find mushrooms in the woods so that they could uh, look for those interactions on uh, native mushrooms. And so my PI sent us up to go on a mushroom hunt because she really loves field work. And so we went out and helped and I was like, this is really cool. And then when I studied abroad and stuff, I always like kept an eye out for weird mushrooms. So I have a whole photo album on my phone of weird mushrooms. Um, Nice. Me too. (laughs) Very strange. Things to find on the trails here in Indiana because... It's not so much of a nature hike. Uh, I just do the same trails, but I'm telling you the, mushroom, hike. the mushrooms are different. Like every day I go there in the summer, in the fall, it's the best. I love it so much. There's oh, so yeah. many pictures of my photo of mushrooms. Oh, absolutely. Um, but it's not a hike. It is a, it's a walk. Yes. Sorry. A trail, a, a, an adventure in nature. I call it my woods walks, woods, woods wide web walks in the woods. Wood web walks. All right. So anyways, so fungi, um, much like plants have roots, um, but their roots also have mycorrhizae that come off. So they're like kind of like little smaller roots that will interact with uh, plant roots and other fungi's roots. Um, and that can be used like kind of like hairy things that you see. Like if you see like a yeah. root that's like kind of fuzzy looking, is that what, is that what those are? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, and I would think of them, think of them kind of as like a highway that can send uh, nutrients and molecules that can interact with other plants and fungi. And so basically what this does is it causes the plants, like the trees, to be connected to one another. Um, so plants can send uh, resources and the fungi can send resources back and forth, but they can also send um, kind of like quote unquote information um, to other plants. So like, hey, over here, it, like we're under attack by this parasite, uh, be careful, whatever. And so they can send out kind of like distressed signals that other plants can pick up so they know to maybe shut down how much water they're taking up or uh, turn up photosynthesis, things like that. And so a lot of people think that plants are just like sedentary and they're not doing anything. And I mean, most of the time they are just sitting there not doing anything, but they're actually like really intelligent. Yeah, forests are like living communities. Yeah. I mean, I know and that's- I once read an article about the smell that happens when you mow your lawn is like when you cut blades of grass, the like smell emitted is actually like a trigger to like warn other like grass that like they're under attack and I like cried thinking about the fact that I love the smell of plants warning other plants that they're dying like I was just like I'm so sad and I, I love the smell too. so much I was like I love the smell of that and then also like pine needles I'm like I just pick them off trees and like rub them in my fingers and smell them yeah <laughs> I that pine needles really make me sneeze and I grew up I grew up in a pine forest so I'm pretty like good no that's like, really we had a tornado and our our town smelled like a pine bomb went off for like four oh. months I mean I'm sorry that there was a tornado in Springfield Massachusetts but I honestly that smell is it worth it no it wasn't no well, maybe. it was not worth it well, maybe uh, no um and so it's the, the wood wide web is really interesting and so it's been studied in 30 different countries and they've mapped about 28,000 plant fungi interactions up until this point of like uh, individual instances. So not like different plant with a different fungi, but like individual instances of like, hey, this plant is interacting with this fungi okay. um, in this area. Um, so there's definitely a lot of work that needs to go into it, but it's really interesting. So I Googled when uh, fungi was first uh, identified and the internet told me 1929. Which I said, what? Because tardigrades- I don't agree with because like that would mean tardigrades were identified before then. So upon Googling a lot more, I realized, then I found 1820 something, but I still think that's wrong. So it's probably like Nessia Moon's time is the first time that we saw fungi because fungi were one of the first things to evolve out of that like gross slurry that we all came out of. Primordial soup. Uh, oh, so gross. I wasn't, I wasn't alive back then, but it was gross. I was there. It was crazy. What a crazy time. <laughs> Oh, so gross. It was just like a slurry of amino acids and bad pH, and they were like human life. Um, not really, but uh, so fungi can really, they can That's sort of, I was there. <laughs> fungi can survive almost any, almost any uh, condition. So they're really good in low salt, low water, um, high temperatures, low temperatures, um, and just different fungi, much like plants, uh, survive better in different uh, types of conditions. But I also have a sci-fi-esque appeal. Yeah. Much like Caitlin was talking about mummies, I will talk about um, <laughs> Star Trek. And so this is uh, at oh. the request idea nudge of Gabe Zentner, who is a PI at Indiana University. He also is our the voice for our intro. And he said that the mycelial network is also something that they use in Star Trek. 
And so upon looking at Star Trek uh, fandom's website, I saw that the mycelial network is kind of set up much like it is in normal life where it's kind of like that root highway system for messages. But in Star Trek, it causes a connection between all known and unknown uh, universes. And you need certain types of ships to get from one universe to another. So much like you'd have certain transport molecules that can go from one planet to another, you would need certain ships to go from one universe to another. Um, And a lot of them are unknown, much like a lot of these uh, interactions are unknown. So I thought that was actually really cool and a really fun way that um, like popular TV uh, took on a scientific topic. And mushrooms, that's not the only instance that mushrooms are used in TV. I mean, if anyone has ever played Mario, there's so many mushrooms in that game. They give you the power-ups. There's Toad and Toadette, who are personally my favorite. Um, and I see mushrooms almost every day because in my brain, because I look at I intel discs all day, which look a lot like mushrooms. Yeah, there's definitely some some similarities in the way they look, for sure. Awesome. Well, yeah, mushrooms are super cool. Um, yeah, I really like them. But that's um, so then I was really, so Wood Wide Web obviously sounds like World Wide Web. Yeah. But then I did some research to figure out when the World Wide Web was first named. And Caitlin, Ooh. do you know when it was named? Oh, um, like 1985? I don't know. No, 1989. You are oh, as old as Wide Web. The world was such a better place in 1989 because I was born. <laughs> I thought you were born out of the slurry. I came out of the slurry in 1989, me and the internet. We just came up out of there. You were just like in, like, you were in the, the snowy slush of Boston. You just like came out of a manhole like, I'm here. You've got mail. <laughs> just like came out. You've got mail. Hi, mom. <laughs> oh, God. You are the secret ninja turtle. That's I am the secret ninja turtle. Uh, yeah, so I'm this. I don't know that this will come up, but I have fallen into a manhole in Bloomington, Indiana, um, since moving here. So, if you ever wondered what it's like to be a PhD and also a secret ninja turtle, I'm your girl. Yeah, I can tell you that the mycorrhizal network is the only cool thing about fungi that I will ever see. They're probably the coolest fun- mushrooms are the only fungi I will ever love in my life. Yeah, I get that. Fungi. Unless I have a son someday, I don't care. I love it. I mean, some people say fungi, and I'm like. No, I don't need to rhyme squeegee and fungi. Fungi. I don't know what I don't know what's right, but like fungi, it sounds like squeegee or like bungee. And I kind of want to bungee jump myself off a building without the cord when people say fungi. (laughs) Oh, bye. (laughs) Yep. No, I I say I also say fungi. I don't know that it's right. When people say antibiotic, I'm like, no, I'm good. Just fucking kill me. (laughs) I'm like, just kill me. I guess yeah yeah uh no they're they're really cool and honestly they're like super understudied for how important they are so oh they're super cool and I love them so much yeah like there's a lot I mean anyways so that is my information on the wood wide web hooray I'm so excited I tried to say that that phrase as least little as possible because you knew I was gonna have an issue with it wood wide web um but yeah so that is the end of our actually our third drunk science episode because we had that special episode in the middle that we were planning on doing episode yeah five three point uh i don't know i don't know what it is but yeah this is episode five um but next week ish in two weeks we will be talking about me and my life history in science so we get to learn all we got you already heard all about me we get to now learn all about Allie. Yeah, and then we'll start moving to talking about um, other topics in STEM. Yeah, we'll try to do some some interviews with people uh, in the department. Uh, we can talk about that. 
Yeah, absolutely. All right. So yeah, until until next time. <laughs> Wait, what? So thank you for listening to episode number five. Thank you. Um, and yeah, come back next time to learn all about what Allie does all day, every day. Yeah. All right. <laughs> See ya. Bye.